Hey Hillside, welcome to Church Online again. So glad that you're taking a few minutes out to connect with us, get in God's Word, and grow together. Now be sure to check up some of the links above this video. Um, Two couple links you can click. One is our connection card. The other is giving online uh, anywhere, anytime. And we always say thank you for your tremendous generosity. It makes a difference not only locally, but also globally um, through global missions. Incredible. Thank you for being so generous. Well, today I want to take a few moments, real, real short few moments together and look at Genesis chapter 3. Last week had the privilege of kicking off our Genesis series and we're going to take about six weeks look at some of the major themes, some of the major stories and some of the important pieces of this incredible book of the Bible. And so together, you know, our time's a little bit shorter online and I'm not going to be reading all of the passages that I'll actually be reading in person. But I want to just give you a brief synopsis, nonetheless, of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 1 and 2 is the creation story, creation account. Genesis 3 begins the journey of humanity with God and in some ways apart from God. Genesis 3, it begins where uh, it talks of the darkness, this evil one, Satan, the accuser, um, the devil, Lucifer, lots of names for him throughout scripture, but the basic premise is life apart from God. The essence of life lived for oneself or for evil. And uh, I do believe the devil's a person, make no bones about it, but I don't want to limit our discussion just to a serpent. I want you to begin to see what the serpent does. The serpent is this embodiment of darkness. It's an embodiment of sin. It's, it's, it's the being of the enemy, the devil, who disguised himself as a serpent in this story. And here's his main aim. It was his main aim in Genesis, his main aim throughout Scripture, and his main aim in our lives. He wants distance between God and us. He thrives when we're not living near or close to God, where we're not living what we can understand to be the Eden way of life given to us in Genesis 1 and 2. So the end game, the destination for the evil one is distance between God and humanity, as well as, I would say this, humanity and humanity. He doesn't like when we're getting along with others, when unity, when vision and purpose and planning and movement is in one direction. He hates that, especially when it's the kingdom of God. He looks to create distance, always. And so I want to offer you some comfort. If you feel a little distant from God, if you feel some space from God and you naturally feel like, man, I know I was created for more. Let me just encourage you, you were. And as I'll share at the end, it's not hard to get back into the presence of God. In fact, it's God's longing and desire for you. But Genesis 3, it introduces us into the devil, into the, the, the one that operates the darkness. And it's a fun, and I don't want to say fun, it's a bit of a unique story where the enemy comes and he deceives Adam into eating, or Eve, excuse me, who passes it on to Adam, into eating fruit that God said they should not eat. And it has pretty dramatic consequences for their lives. And so on one hand, we read the literal account 
of Genesis, but we also know that the value or the weight or the gravity of the story is just far greater and far more reaching than simply a serpent deceiving Eve into participating in this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Believe all of that is true, by the way. However, I also don't want to limit it to just this literal moment story. We see that it introduces us into a pattern and a direction for humanity, as well as it exposes the work of the enemy. And here's the work of the enemy. He longs for that distance. How does he get that distance between God and us? He deceives. He uses deception. And he's never changed. He continues to deceive and use deception. Now in Genesis 3, it's obvious. Like it really jumps out to you. And here's a couple ways that it does it. The serpent comes along and he talks to Eve. And here's what he proposes. Here's the phrase. Did God really say? I want you to think about that phrase with me for a moment. Did God really say? Or did God really mean what he said? Like, can it be totally trusted? I mean, are you sure that's what he want? Maybe he's trying to withhold some things from you. Maybe he's not good or loving or caring. Aren't you sure you can really trust God? And I think if we think about that phrase in our own lives, I know certainly for myself, whenever I miss the mark, whenever I sin or get trapped in a negative cycle that really has a starting place, and it's this, did God really say? That's oftentimes the starting place of our spiritual warfare is the enemy tempting us through deception. As in, hey Paul, man, you, you're really reading God's Word, you pray. Isn't it a little outdated? Are you sure? Aren't you disappointed, man? Couldn't God's Word get more with the times? Like, you know, can, can it get a little more relevant? It's so antiquated. It's ancient, man. Can it really be trusted? That's how the enemy will operate in our days, right? Or what else does he do? And we see this in Genesis 3. Not only did he come alongside Eve and say, did God really say? Well, <clears throat> he came, came aside Eve and he said, Ah, God said this? Well, ah, I don't think it's really going to happen. He, he promises less than what he can deliver. And here's where I'm getting at. He sows seeds of doubt. That's how he deceives us. Did God really say? But then he also sows false promises. And here's one. Here's one. Genesis 3, 4, and 5. Here's what it says. You won't die at all. God says, if you eat of this fruit, you'll surely die. What does the enemy say? Ah! You're not going to die at all. You won't die at all. It's not going to happen. Rather, and here's the lie from the enemy, God knows that on the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. Like, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be everything you dreamed. Like, I've got some shortcuts, and why don't you come with me? Let's take these shortcuts. Even though they're definitely counter what God said, He can't be trusted. Did He really say? Do you think He really meant that? And he knows your eyes will be open and you'll become like God's. Woo, what a false promise. You know, that's the very bait that Lucifer took. Lucifer longed to be in the place of God. His pride and his arrogance led to him, as Jesus would say, falling like lightning from the heavens. He knows 
He can never be near or close to God. And so what he experiences the distance, and that's his vision over our life. He longs to deceive us into creating distance, and he uses it by creating discord. What I mean by discord is um, that distrust, that seed of doubt to no longer trust God's word, no longer trust his ways. You'll probably see it in the current climate we live in, a lack of reverence for even the very scriptures that we've been given. And that lack of reverence for God's scriptures can often lead to a lack of reverence for God's spirit. And so when people have felt an impression or prompting of the Holy Spirit, the enemy loves to attack the seed of what God has spoken. He begins to fracture our ways of thinking and we get caught up in a less than way of living. John 10, 10 holds two promises. Jesus exposes the work of the enemy, says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus says, but I have come that you might have life, abundant life. That's God's promise. That is Eden, Genesis 1 and 2. That's where we see Adam and Eve. But the enemy can't stand it. So what does he do? He deceives, uses deception to create that distance. And this happens for us. It, it can happen to each of us. It can happen in all sorts of ways. I think of the seven deadly sins, lust, gluttony, greed, sloth or laziness, wrath or anger, violence, envy or pride. I mean, there's a reason those seven deadly sins, which our early church fathers discovered and would disciple people in to be on the alert, to be on guard, because your enemy goes around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Out of 1 Peter, we know that scripture. They would warn about these seven deadly sins, and the reason they would uh, encourage people to keep a guard up is because they knew the tactics of the enemy was to deceive us. I mean, I think about pride in my own life. You know, depending on the day, I can't see it. I'm deceived. I'm blinded. That's why the nearness of God's Word and the nearness of the presence and the Spirit of God, it has a power to convict me, to lead me to confession, to lead me to repentance, and ultimately to lead me back into the, the depths of relationship and nearness and wholeness that only come from God. I want to encourage you today. Really, today was quick. More food for thought, but I trust you. I know you could take some time today to pray, to consider, but why not ask the Lord? Why not even reflect on Genesis 3? Read out the whole chapter. Take five, ten minutes, and then spend an additional five to ten minutes and just begin to think about man, I wonder if deception's at play in me. You know, areas I've noticed people live in deception are sometimes their private life things they look at, the things they talk about, the way they treat or mistreat others, the way they handle purity, whether that's sexually or uh, spiritually, the way they operate in their affairs in the area of their finances. You know, we always want to put our best foot forward and social media, it really gives us a platform to give a false self. Well, I want to encourage you to take a few moments. And if you're going to recognize deception in your own life, it requires you identify the false self. Those areas that you, let's be honest, that you've been deceiving yourself. And here's what I want you to think about. As you approach God, know that you find grace, 
that you find mercy and you find an outpouring of His love. He longs to be near and close to you. Why not take a moment, ask the Lord, hey, is there anywhere that's off? Anywhere where I've been living like Eve and Adam, man, I've been part of the cycle. I listened to the enemy. Uh, he deceived me and ultimately I ate it. Like I jumped in, I participated. You know, it's wild. We're several thousand years on from that story in Genesis 3. But here's the good news. Jesus stands between Genesis 3 and us. That He bore on the cross all of our sin, all of our shame. And He now leads us into relationship with God the Father. So I want to encourage you. Stand on the blood of Jesus. Stand on the Word of God. Don't be afraid to let the Holy Spirit examine your heart, examine your motives. And then step in to all that God has for you. Let me pray. God, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together. I bless every person watching this. Lord, may this be the year that deception no longer has a hold in our life in any arena. And God, may we step into all that you have for us, God. May we start families. May we be individuals, Lord that live in cycles of wholeness, live in cycles of truth, and live in cycles of nearness to God and His local life-giving church. We ask this and I pray this for all your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it was good spending a few moments together and I hope to see you in person one of these coming up Sundays. Blessings. Have a great week.